0: In First Corinthians, and we're in chapter four, and our series is 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 has a title, and it's called "Grow Up." Um, we tend to give all of the series that we do, um, when we walk through books of the Bible, uh, a title, and we're trying to argue that you know, what I'm saying First Corinthians, if you like that, that that the main point is um, the thrust that the whole book is about believers, Christians coming to that point where we mature. You know what I'm saying? Um, because how many of you know? Um we ain't arrived, you know what I'm saying, as much as some of us may feel that we have, you know, what I'm saying, there's still a lot of growth, a whole heap of growth, you know what I'm saying. When I think about my myself, I know that, you know what I mean, I'm I don't look the way I ought to. I don't look like Jesus, you know what I'm saying? And um and I'm sure if you're developing in terms of your own personal sanctification, you'd agree with me. On that so our, our series is is called grow up in first corinthians and today's message um, in chapter 4 verse 6 to 13 is called proud puffed up and clueless proud puffed up and clueless um, <laughs> you'd be like boy pastor rob I hope, I hope you ain't trying to identify me with that statement well if if that's your immediate response look out you know what i mean um, I think in one sense, this kind of identifies all of us. Now, as far as this book is concerned, so we took a little break last week, Pastor Mikey um, did our Easter service, and so it was an Easter special. We're back in First Corinthians, and so um, let me just remind us that First Corinthians is kind of pretty much broken up into two major, major sections. <clears throat> you've got chapter 1 through 6, and then you've got chapter 7 through to chapter 15, and chapter 1 through 6 is pretty much the Apostle Paul um, responding to issues in this church that he'd become aware of, either, you know and I'm saying individuals are kind of com- communicated to him, boy, you know, this is what's going on in Corinth, you know, this is what's going on in the church down there, you know, and and he's like, really? And um, and um and, and so he begins to respond to these issues in chapter 1 through chapter 6, which is where we still are in chapter, obviously, we're in chapter 4, and... <clears throat> And, and we'll continue this thought of Paul responding to issues right up for another few, few more weeks. Um, but, 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 but then the, the, the second part, or, or, or should I actually say, in terms of that first part, um, it seems as if the, the believers in Corinth, they have this um, lack of understanding with regards to the gospel. Um, they're not holding to the centrality of the cross. And I'm saying there's division, there's a lack of unity Um, There's carnality and immaturity, hence the need to grow up. So that's chapter 1 through 6. Chapter 7, and we'll come back to this. Chapter 7 through 15 um, are answers that Paul begins to provide in what seems like a letter that was written previously. Um, So this is 1 Corinthians, but it seems like there were quite a number of different letters written back and forth with regards to Paul and this church in Corinth. And so chapter 7 through to chapter 15, which we'll do on the back end of this series, is kind of really dealing with um, um, answers to questions that they have asked in this previous letter. So they're asking about relationships, they're asking about marriage and sex. They're asking about Christian liberty. What's the deal? What can we eat? What can't we eat? You know what I'm saying? What, like, can we drink alcohol, if you like? And, you know what I'm saying? Can we have a tattoo? Like asking contemporary questions of the time. And chapter 7 through 15 is Paul responding, if you like, to those questions. <clears throat> and, and one of the things we see Paul continue to do throughout the book is diagnose the Corinthian problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The root of the problem. There's loads of branches, but there's kind of like a root to the problem. And a part of his thing is, you know what? They they are these Corinthians. They're puffed up. They're proud. They're smug. They have an overinflated opinion of themselves. You know what I'm saying? They are. They're lofty in their own estimation. And it's crazy how, in the New Testament, this word that has been translated "puffed up," overinflated, appears about ten, about twelve times. Over half of those times are in this book, in 1 Corinthians, and also 2 Corinthians. Like, Paul identifies the heart of the Corinthian problem. Do you know what I'm saying? And he tells us, and this this tells us a lot about these believers. They were smug, as I said, in their own opinion, but they were also smug in their opinion of others. And we've been seeing that for a few weeks. They're smug in their opinion of their leaders. You know what I'm saying? We've seen that in chapter 3, and we're going to see it again here in chapter 4 today. They were arrogant of their opinion of Paul, you know. <laughs> um, Paul, the one who next week will refer to himself as a father to them. I'm saying, but they ain't really got no love or even respect for Paul. You know, what I'm saying they were arrogant in their opinion of Paul. And at the end of this chapter, chapter 4, um, <clears throat> as I said, which is our text next week, First Corinthians 4, Sam says verse 18 says, some of you think that I'm that I'm I'm not coming for a visit. Remember, he's writing a letter, right? So he says, Some of you you think that I'm not coming, right? And so you're bragging. But he says, you know what, if the Lord lets me come, now notice Paul don't Paul don't brag. Paul's a little bit more conservative. He's like, you know what? I've been hearing about you lot, and it's all right, I'll soon come. He does say I'll soon come, but he says, you know, if the Lord permits it. Can you see his humility? But he's not happy, and he says, "You know what?" He says, "But if the Lord lets me come in, you know, oh, I will soon be there. Then I will find out if the ones who are doing all this bragging, quote unquote, this this lofty these lofty opinions, this puffed up attitude, I'll see if really they have any power." He'd be like, "All right, P." He'd be like, "All right, Paul." See, Paul ain't ramping. You know, it's crazy. I'm 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 preaching to the camera. Normally there's people. There's like six of us in there. I'm preaching. I'm looking for a little little response, but I ain't getting it yet. I'm sure. I'm sure at some point again. They, they're working on the, 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 the they're trying to hook up the link and the YouTube thing. That's why they, they can't they can't focus. But it's all right. Thank the Lord that they do that. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying, I'm used to getting little response, but um Amen. Amen lights. Amen. Praise the We we, are, we got we actually got lights. Like Light, passing bro, you really hooked this thing up this week. we got lights, you know. Amen. Amen, guitar. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Paul's coming and he's saying, all right. Now, what I'm trying to highlight is this arrogant nature that they have. And again, in the next chapter, in chapter 5, um, chapter 5 through 7, Paul is talking about, um, again, this issue of relationship and sex. And they were arrogant in their ignorance, Chapter one, chapter five, verse one and two says, Paul says, it's actually reported everywhere that there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind of sexual, a kind of immorality that is condemned even among the unbelieving Gentiles. That someone has an intimate relationship with his father's wife, like my man's sexing up his, his, his stepmom. And he says, and he says, and you notice, you are proud and arrogant. There's that word again for puffed up. You are proud and arrogant, like when you should have mourned about this situation. Are you getting a picture of what these Corinthian Christians are like? And then we've got first, don't go there just yet, Sam, but First Corinthians um, chapter 8 and 10, a little later, are about Christian liberty. Again, I mentioned the things that, you know, what can we do as believers, you know what I'm saying, and not be crossing any, you know what I'm saying, spiritual boundaries, as it were. And these believers, remember, they're proud and they're puffed up with with, with knowledge, um, but they're seriously lacking in love. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 to 2 says, Now concerning food offered to idols. Now, remember, he's responding to a question they've asked. So he says, okay, about this issue of idol, um, food offered to idols. We know that all of us, notice, possess knowledge. And in one sense, he's saying, like, big deal. Like, we all got knowledge, right? What's the big deal? He says, this knowledge that we tend to have, what does it do? It has a tendency to puff us up. You know, so someone say, no, this is what we need to do. No, this is what you need to do. And I can explain you. I've got five points why. Okay. That's, that's, that's one thing. That's cool. But he said, there's something that's more important. And it's, and it's something that needs to be juxtaposed with knowledge you know you not. Know people say people say they don't, I don't care what you know until I know that you care and I'm saying and Paul's saying your knowledge means nothing if it's not juxtaposed with love because what knowledge puffs up on its own but love builds up can you see that and I suppose the question we have to ask ourselves is are we puffed up or do we build up and I'm saying that is build others up are we self-centered, always concerned? Go, go back for me, brother. Are we self-centered and always just concerned with ourselves, or are we looking at the needs of? Are we looking at the needs of others? He says, "Are you puffed up, if you like, or do you build up?" If if anyone, verse two, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know, <laughs> as he ought to know. So I remember my stepdad used to say. He that knows not that he knows not. No, he who thinks he knows and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Paul's like saying, where you know? Say no, you know no nothing. Pardon, pardon me. He's like, he's saying, he's like, what do you know? You don't know nothing. Paul says. He says you're ignorant. And then on top of that, you're arrogant. And you see this played out in chapters 12 and 14 later in this book, don't you? In the way that these believers are show, show, show off with their gifts, you know, they want to be seen and they want to be heard. And and continuing with this theme of love in view of their desire to have their gifts spotlighted, you know, First, you have 1 Corinthians 12 that talks about the gifts, and 1 Corinthians 14, and right in the middle, sandwiched in the middle, is the classic chapter on love. Like people read it at weddings and don't really know what the whole chapter is fully about. Well, it's right in the middle of people boasting and glorifying themselves with regards to the great quote unquote gifts that they have. and And Paul says, Right in there, in between those two chapters, he says, in chapter 13, he says, if I speak in tongues, right, so I got a gift, like like, whoopie-doo, right? He says, but have not love. I am a a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, you know you've got instruments in a band, you know what I'm saying? And instruments complement one another. But sometimes some instruments on their own are just jarring. You know, sometimes I mean? you hear someone practicing a trumpet in their house, and you walk by, them. and I'm saying, and here are these two instruments, like you know, what I'm saying, like Paul's saying, you know, if you're if if you're mad gifted, but you lack love, like, you know, like when you clash two cymbals together, it's just okay. So maybe it's one, it's okay one time in the midst of an orchestra, but on its own, it's like what. Or a gong, bang, 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 bang. It's like you know, Thursday nights we come out and eight o'clock we clap. Thought I'd switch it up and bring out my Dutch pot, big old metal spoon, bang, 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 bang. And as I'm bang, 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 banging there the last week, I thought to myself, okay, this bang, 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 banging, it was all right like the first couple of bangs, but now it's just, you know, I'm saying, and I'm there banging and I'm thinking, I need to stop this banging now, and people are still clapping. My banging at a certain point just got jarring. See, Paul's saying, you can be mad gifted, and it's good to be gifted, and it's good to use your gift, but when you use it inappropriately, Paul's like, you're mad gifted, but that gift without love is jarring. He goes on, verse 2, and he says, look, if I have prophetic powers in you know. No, I mean this is some this is some like serious list. If I have prophetic powers, you know, and understand, notice all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith, wow, I mean, like that's very that's a very impressive list. Understand prophetic powers, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and and I have all faith so as to notice, to remove mountains, you know that kind of gangster faith-like. But he says, but have not love. He says, I am nothing. All of that is outbalanced, as great as it is. It's outbalanced if there's a lack of love. He says, I'm nothing. If I give, if I, if I give away all that I have, it seems very, you know what I'm saying, impressive. And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, he says I gain nothing. In that, in that sense, you like you like our gifts mean nothing. You know what I'm saying without love. Verse 4. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy. Notice, here's our word. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't arrogant. It's not puffed up or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Wow. It is not irritable or resentful. See, and the thing is, everybody has gifts. Everybody has gifts. Whether you've discovered them or not. (laughs) Paul's like, I don't care about your gift. Primarily. The big question is, are you walking in love? In this kind of 1 Corinthians 13 love, this kind of agape love, this kind of love that, this kind of love that is undeserved on the part of the recipient. Well, if you are, if you're a loving kind of person like that, praise God. But if you're not, it's possibly because you're arrogant, puffed up, smug, overinflated, and lofty in your own estimation. And and you see that and you see the problem behind the problem is pride. Proud, puffed up, and clueless. What an indictment! Now that's a long introduction. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father, thank you um, for the opportunity to meet like this in your word. And Lord, as we always say, we're going. We're going through the word, but is the word going through us? Um, please, Lord, help us to be humble today, to see ourselves, like Pastor E prayed earlier, in the true light of your word and in the true light of who you are. It's one thing us comparing ourselves among ourselves, but Lord, when we compare ourselves with you, then it's over. It's game over. Help us to do that. And find our proper place, Lord, in that place, in that space of humility and not arrogance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so, um, I've split us our, our particular portion this week of text up into three sections. And um, verse 6, verse 7, and then verse 8 to 13. So, verse 1 um, is mature believers judge biblically. A second point is, mature believers receive gratefully. And number three, mature believers have a future-focused mentality. <clears throat> um, as I stated earlier, Paul started this church. He knows them well. <laughs> and I think that's one of the reasons why he speaks so robustly to them. You know what I mean? You've got to know someone to be able to really kind of hot them up like this. And after faithfully preaching a message about Jesus in Corinth, Paul's seen a number of people respond and put their faith in Christ. Um, but these are not behaving in a way that is consistent with Christ's likeness, you know what I'm saying? There was gross immaturity. And the you know, picture kindergarten, or like what we call nursery. And um, just, I mean, I think nursery is before reception, right? Reception is before year one, and just uh, just young children, just toddlers running around and you know what I'm saying? I want the toy that he's playing with and two two children are, are tussling over one toy and you know what I'm saying? I wanted black currant juice. I didn't want orange squash. You know what I'm saying? A little boy doesn't make it to the toilet in time. And I was going to say he number two, but let's say he number one himself. You know what I'm saying? He never made it to... A child sitting in the same space, You've got a child sitting on a naughty step. You know what I'm saying? And then another child screaming because he's not getting his own way. It's like this is the picture of the the church in Corinth. Hey. And you know, it's, it's it would be quite arrogant of us to suggest that we're nothing like that. You know what I mean? Um, the truth of the matter is, is all churches are like this in some way, shape, or form. You know what I'm saying? We haven't been glorified. We're not at that point where we'll we. You know what I'm saying we've been completely and totally transformed, and um, we've got issues. You know and I'm saying, and we need to admit that. I think that helps us, and it helps those who are looking at us. You know what I mean? And we saw from our last session in the series a few weeks ago with Pastor Rich that these believers had great admiration for one particular pastor, one particular preacher whose name was Apollos. But they didn't really hold Paul in very high regard. You know, they weren't really feeling Paul, um, and possibly because um, Apollos was an articulate orator. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, as Richie mentioned, he was bo- Apollos was born in Alexandria in Egypt. You know, what I'm saying like the seat of learning at the time, and the, and, and the text says Acts 18, 24, says that he was a terrific speaker. He was. Eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the scriptures, you know what I'm saying. Like, very impressive, like publicly, you know what I'm saying. And I think the comparison, if you like well, at least for some of us that are familiar with like Calvary Chapel, um, I think the comparison is a little bit like comparing Pastor Chuck Smith with someone like a Ravi Zacharias. You know what I'm saying. Like Pastor Chuck, one of his commitments in life, in his whole ministry, was. I think he said it's 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 quite it's it's one thing to take something, very simple, and make it sound complicated. He says it's another thing to take something that's complicated, and make it simple. That was his commitment as he talked through the Bible, year on year, decade through decade. I think oh, seven times he went through the whole Bible in his church. Yo, but to hear him, to hear him, he wasn't that. You know what I'm saying? There was no pyrotechnics going off and there was no, you know what I'm saying, camera lights action and, you know what I'm saying? He was just a simple, bald, quite short brother and he was very monotone in his, I don't want to try and do a thing of Pastor Chuck, but he was very monotone in his delivery, but God used that man tremendously. You know what I'm saying? When In the 60s and 70s when when he was preaching, like, bare hippies were getting saved and they were current long hair and bare feet and psychedelic you know shirts and shorts and it's california in it so you just can imagine he was my point is he's very unlike the people that he was reaching out to but god was saving them by the hundreds by the thousands and some of those pastors are some a a pastor in some of the biggest churches in in america and i'm saying but that was through a quote-unquote simple pastor truck. You compare him to someone like Ravenel, like talk about articulate. Like the guy's scary in terms of his vocabulary and his ability to communicate verbally. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and comparing Apollos and Paul. You know what I'm saying? Paul Paul wasn't so focused on, on the delivery as much as the content. For Paul, the power was in the message itself not so much the messenger. Paul himself says in, at the beginning of this book in, in chapter one, verse 17, it's not there, bro. He says, my aim is to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, and these carnal Corinthians, you know what I'm saying, they were impressed by everything that was outward and external. And, 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 and in one sense, you know, I'm not surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because Corinth, at the time was very, very well known for what they called the Isthmian Games, which was probably just second to the Olympic Games. I think the Olympic Games were started about 700 BC, 775 BC, the eighth century BC. And then about 200, later, 200 years later, they started these Isthmian Games. And you know what I'm saying it's like the Isthmian Games, like the, like the, like the Olympic Games, were famous for two things, entertainment, you know what I'm saying, and competition. And so you can see why these Corinthian Christians had this kind of proclivity, you know what I'm saying? They wanted stuff that was entertaining. They wanted stuff that was impressive, you know what I'm saying? Because that's what they're used to. And this whole thing about competition, I mean, is there any greater competition than the Olympics? You know what I'm saying? Individuals competing against one another. So they bring that into the church. I'm saying, and and they take their views and their cues, if you like, from, from the secular surroundings, the secular culture, and their critical skills, their critical judgment skills were lacking. Whereas mature believers judge biblically, mature believers judge biblically, right? That's our first point, not emotionally or not culturally, primarily. I mean we've got a bit of our culture mixed up in what we do and what we say. You know and I'm saying we can't we often we're emotional creatures, but we can't make our judgments on that basis. You know and I'm saying not emotionally or culturally primarily, but scripturally as believers. First Corinthians chapter six. Um, sorry, first Corinthians chapter four, jumping into our text now. Um, I spent a lot of time on the intro, hopefully. It doesn't mean that we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time in the text, but hey, <laughs> what can I say? First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This is, this, is the, this is the first verse of our text now that we're looking at. Paul says, look, he says, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos. Notice, for your benefit, brothers and sisters, if you like. Notice that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. That none of you may be here. It is puffed up, in favor of one against another. Don't bring that. That that. Yeah, I just you know you know I'm am I'm in, I'm in, I'm a, I'm a Christian now in Corinth. Uh, for real yeah man bro like so you stop the wrestling thing no man i'm still wrestling in the Isthmian games you know you know i'm saying man's like okay cool i hear that but bro make sure you there's somebody you can bring the wrestling in but careful you don't bring that competitive wrestling wrestling spirit in here you know bro i mean careful now easy now don't feel like anytime someone gets on your nerves you're gonna jump on them and i'm saying put them in a headlock you know arrest them bro no you know what I'm saying? We can get a little wrestling on, and you know what I'm saying? Sit out some mats and that, and have some fun. Run some joke. Remember one time, um, um, Gamma Julian took us and done some kickboxing with us up at the adventure playground. That's all good, but make sure you don't be you're not you're not doing no Wing chung on your brother or your sister when they wrong you. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like Paul saying, you know what I'm saying? I'm using myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. You know and I'm saying that you may not be puffed up in favor of one against another. Now, myself and Pastor E, we used to teach in a secondary school just round the back there in Lewisham called St. Joseph Academy. And, um, at the height of the postcode war, this is again about, we're going back about 2000 and 2006 2007. Remember, Pastor, I see Pastor shaking his head, in it. you know what I'm saying? And um, what we did was, um, we thought, oh, how are we going to deal with this postcode thing? And as always, knocking heads together, I mean, like I think it was Pastor E that came up with the idea, he said, you know, let's have a summit, man. Let's bring their mutes in, you know and I'm saying, and, and let's deal with this matter of postcode. Let's really get to the bottom of it. And so we brought them in, and um, we had all the notorious boys them from, De- it was a boys' school, all the notorious boys from Deptford sitting on one side, and then all the notorious boys from Peckham sitting on the other side of the room. And they come in, and they're thinking, what's going on? They didn't know, because we never really let them know really what was going on. They come in, and as they come in the room, they're like sitting down and, they're looking around thinking, wait a minute, how come all of my men are here and all of them men are over there? Like, wow, Juan, like, what's going on today? <laughs> I mean, and I think they literally even said to us like, what did you bring us here for? With them. And we were like, look, you know, if you guys, if you guys could, like restricted by the fact that you're on school premises, if you could, you would kill each other. But it's only true, and they really respected our space. Back then, Urban Mission. Shout out, Urban Mission. But the students began to get agitated. And, 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 and how we framed it was, the big question on the table was, how did this whole postcode thing start? That was the question on the table. How, did, like, when and how did this start? Like, we can see what we're in, but where did this all start? In the hope to kind of unravel it, and you know what I'm saying? And there was silence. You know, not one of them youths put up their hand and said, this is how it started. And I'm saying, and it's because of this. And you know what? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and blah, blah, blah. And that's why we're here. now. that's why it is war. Like, not a word. Silence. And we had invited some guests to come along at this summit. And um, some special guests. And it was two guys, and they did a song together. And... they are two rappers, but the mad thing was, and the youths never knew this, one was from Deptford, and one was from Peckham. The very same two sides that are represented. And I'm saying, but these two guys who done the song who, together, they were in their 30s, they were big men. And um, <laughs> little did the crowd know, they were best friends. And they had become Christians a few years ago, and that very day when they came into school, they'd had breakfast together. <laughs> And they were like, I'm from Peckham. He's from, he's, from, he's from New Cross. And we ain't got no beef. He was like, oh. we ain't got no beef. There ain't no beef between us. And they basically said, you know what? We can tell you how this beef thing started because we was there. And they looked at these kids and... And he said, look, you lot are here ready to kill each other. With no understanding... Of the facts. And we know the facts. And, and, and we're brethren. You man's want to kill each other. And you don't know the facts. All you got is just bad man bravado. These kids. They were ignorant. And, and they were arrogant. And that's the point. They were immature and foolish. And, and, and Paul's like... Paul's like Paul's to these believers, he says, you see me and Apollos, man and man ain't got no beef. Me and, me and Apollos, we're cool. We're co-laborers cool together. <laughs> and I'm saying, he sows, I'm reaping. It's like we're very different players, but ultimately we're on the same team. Like, why are you trying to divide us? See, me and Apollos Apollos get on call, but if we followed you lot, you carnal Corinthians, we'd end up at each other's throats. Verse 6, I'll read it again. He says, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. See, they were judging their leaders unrighteously by a standard other than scripture. If you like, they were going beyond what is written. My man's like, just stick to the text, innit? not it? And then you'll be able to make sound judgment. Let us not be guilty of the same thing. <clears throat> judging and esteeming one one Christian, or one Christian leader above another. Um, David Guzik, who's a Bible commentator, um, he's got a statement in one of his commentaries. Um, Sam, is this, on, is this a bit delayed? Um, Dave Guzik, he says, <clears throat> he says, many people today, they evaluate a Christian leader based on unbiblical standards. They go beyond what's written. They're not using what's written. <laughs> Got some outside, and I'm saying definitions. Paul's like they judge, they judge um, a, a Christian or a Christian leader on their humor, on their entertainment value, on their appearance, or their skill at marketing or sales. But this is to think beyond what is written. Paul said at the beginning of this chapter in verse one, he says, "We're all servants." And stewards. You know what I'm saying? It's like Jesus ought to be the superstar. And that's my first point. Verse six, mature believers judge biblically. My second point, which is going to be much quicker than the first one, or maybe not. Um, mature believers, as I have another look at my notes, mature believers receive gratefully. Paul will further challenge this immaturity and this arrogance by asking three questions in this verse, in verse 7. Right? He says, first of all, for who sees anything different in you? Two, what do you have that you did not receive? And then three, if you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So question one, another translation helpfully says, For who makes you different from anyone else? That's the question. Who makes you different from anyone else? Well, the answer is God does. God is the one that makes us distinct and different. God is responsible for our differences. God made us all different. And Paul's like, you got a problem with that? Like what, we're supposed to all be the same? Oh, well, everyone should be like this person, my favorite That don't even make sense. Knowing that God has made people different, how can it be right to elevate one above another? That's question one. Question two, it says, what do you have that you did not receive? So apart from looking at everybody generally, Paul's like, well, how about you? You got gifts. It says, where did you get them from? did did you actually think that is is down to your own personal greatness says all the gifts that you have ultimately come from god and and then if that's the case where is there room for lofty self exaltation self elevation and pride and arrogance so can you see a gross misunderstanding of grace And that because of a self-centered focus. I'm saying, he says, we're all different because of God's determination. Whatever gifts we have are exactly that. They're gifts. Something that we've received. And then the third question in here at the end of verse 7, he says, the third question is, why do you ignore question one and question two? If God is the one who makes us different, and whatever gifts we have, they come from him, why are you puffed up? Why are you full of yourself? Why do you boast? See, mature believers recognize and are cognizant of the fact that anything and everything that I have, that we have, that you have, ultimately comes from God. And therefore, when we understand that we're grateful, not hateful, mature Christians acknowledge their Inability. Mature Christians. They acknowledge their vulnerability and incapacity. So I was chatting to, you know, someone the other day, just literally a couple of days ago. This person is so gifted. Like anything this person does, they just seem to do it well. And anything, anything that needs to be done, they can do it. You ever met that person before, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's like everything they touch turned to gold. And I'm like, and I said, I was like, bro, you're amazing. You know what I'm saying? And he said, boy, you know what he says? Look, I can't even take no credit, can't even take no kudos. And he said, um, he said, there's a Jamaican saying, and it goes like this. It says, Simi and come live with me are two different something. He said, you might see me on good days, but you don't see me on my bad days. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, fam, I hear that. Now, did you hear the humility in that? You know what I'm saying? Man never stepped back and... "Ah." You know know what I'm saying? But but that is the constant, regular response of the non-believer. I mean, obviously, not all non-Christians are arrogant like that, but it's a standard response, isn't it? And... You see, mature Christians ain't going to respond like that, even if they're mad gifted. You know what I'm saying? They acknowledge their inability, their vulnerability, and also their incapacity. I would go as far as to say mature Christians acknowledge their total depravity. And it's not that everything about me is bad, but everything about me is broken. And I'd say the same is true for you. The Bible says all have sinned, <laughs> excluding none. Ten out of ten. I'm saying everything about us is broken. I'm saying, and, and it just makes sense that we acknowledge that, that we admit that. And and, and and everything about us is broken, and I'm saying, because of the virus. And you know I'm not talking about corona, right? I'm talking about the sin virus. And how many of you know when it comes to the sin virus, the transmission rate is 100%. When it comes to the sin virus, there ain't no special mask that can protect you or me. Adam and Eve tried that in the garden with fig leaves, remember? Ain't no hand gel, ain't no alcoholic sanitizer, no liquid soap, ain't no antibacterial spray. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious, I'm just going to try and sing. Oh, precious is the flow. Kian's laughing at me. That makes me white as snow. Everybody knows this song, isn't it? No other fount I know. There's nothing that can cleanse us from that virus, apart from the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So mature believers, we see they judge biblically. right? They don't go beyond what is written. They judge righteously. When it comes to gifts, talents, and ability, mature believers acknowledge and they receive grace, gracefully with humility. They don't brag about what they are and, and what others have. Which brings us to our third point. Mature believers have a future-focused mentality. Mature believers, they understand destiny, and I would even argue real ministry. This next section is crazy. Brother, am I breathing too heavy on this mic? Is it okay? From verse 8 right to the end. This is crazy. For the purpose of illustration, um, Paul begins to play (laughs) these immature Christians at their own game. Mud. It's like, Paul's like, cool. You want to compare me and Apollos? Cool. Well, I'm going to (laughs) compare and contrast you to me sarcastically. And Paul does this, does this in other places, like in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, he says, Paul, said, Paul, Paul goes into this thing where he says, you know what, I know I'm acting like a fool, you know. He says, I, I know. He says, it's a, it's a, it, it says, bear with me. I know this is a madness, you know what I'm saying. But Paul's like, y'all gonna make me act a fool up in here, up in here. And the main point of comparison when he compares himself with like, I'm going to do what you, when he begins to do that, the main point of comparison is this life versus the next life. And the impact either of those perspective has on the way that you live. What's your perspective on this life? And what is your perspective on the next life? That will determine how you live from day to day. Mr. and Mrs. Corinthian Christian, their, answer, their response to this question, this life or the next life, they want everything now. They aren't concerned with the not yet. They're not concerned with the life to come. It's all about enjoyment in the moment. And this is one of the reasons we get 1 Corinthians chapter 15. These Corinthian Christians, yeah, some of them never even believed in the resurrection. They'd be like, it's all about this life. You know and I'm saying, that's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians and Mikey, Pastor Mikey P broke it down last week. You know what I'm saying, imagine, I'm like, bro, these guys don't believe in the resurrection. And Paul, you're still treating them like they're believers. I think that says quite a lot. I'm saying about the the the, 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 the spectrum of our Im, of, of our immaturity. You've got some people that are one end of the spectrum, really mature, but then you've got believers who are right at the other end of the spectrum, mad immature. They're not these current they're not concerned about the life to come. It's all about enjoying the moment, you know and I mean, let's eat, drink, and be merry now. Cut them. We can worry about death and dying later. Let's live our best life now. Man said I've got 10 minutes left. Praise the Lord. Let's live our best life now. See, these Corinthian Christians, they're obsessed with everything now. Listen to verse eight, and we're going to roll right through to verse 13. A couple little comments. Um, Verse eight, notice what Paul says. He says, already you have all that you want. He says, already, you have become rich. You ain't, waiting. <laughs> you ain't waiting for the afterlife. You want it now. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be like, don't chat to me about streets of gold, streets paved with gold in heaven. I need that gold right now, baby. Right now, right now. <laughs> See? And the thing is, this is crackers because Paul's like, you guys look impressive. Like if, we, if we're talking about looking at each other and measuring up let me remember Paul's playing their game, you know what I'm saying He says "You guys look impressive Whew. you know what I'm saying you guys are and, and it's because you're focused on on experience experiencing all the blessings now see the, the, the posh theological term for this is overrealized eschatology you know what I'm saying it's like and this type of doctrinal perspective, it gets, how I many of you know, it gets challenged very greatly during times like the times we're going, in, going through right now. Plagues and pestilence, you know. Man, I'd be like, rah, oh, plagues and pestilence. This ain't my portion. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Food shortages and famine. You know what I'm saying? Some would say, as a Christian, you know, like you're king's kid, isn't it? Like Jesus is King, I'm saying. Like God's my Father, that must mean I'm royalty, and it, and it, it, there's truth in that, you know what I'm saying? But like that's not my portion. Like what's going on here? See, I want I wonder who's saying that now. You know what I'm saying, like you've got some some that would say no one is. If you're Christian, you're not supposed to be sick, and everyone ought to be healed. And if you're not if you're sick and you're not getting healed, you ain't got faith. I Don't know if you heard that stuff. It's quite common. You know what I'm saying? And and Paul, if you're like, this is a sarcastic response to that unbiblical theology. It's like I saw a video a few weeks back. Man. And this guy comes on this video, you know, so many memes and so many short videos like popping all over the place. This guy comes out, he's American, and he's looking straight dead in the camera. Man, my man's like, right, he's like, all right, he's like, all right. All them Christian pastors chatting about, you know what I'm saying, healing and laying their hands on, you know and I'm saying, and people, raise, raising people from the dead. He's like, cool. He says, I've got $1,000 that says you go down to the hospital and just heal one person of COVID-19, and I'll give you $1,000. My man's like, wait a minute. He goes, I'll give you $10,000. dollars he would be like, and, and all you see is the comments popping up in the, in the chat. I, I add a thousand dollars to that too. yeah I, I add my little hundred. I ain't, I ain't no millionaire. I add a hundred. I add a hundred dollars to that, and it starts going nuts. And my man's big thing is, and it's and it's like, why don't you go down to Nightingale Hospital and just clear it out in it? If it's that straightforward, if it's that simple, see, overrealized eschatology says. In this life, you should have the best of everything. No sickness. You should be rich. You're the head and the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed coming in and blessed going out. But you see, those promises, they're not carte blanche promises in scripture. There, There are some that will benefit in that way. And sometimes, you know what? The big, big blessing sometimes ain't even a blessing. Because when you get too much, then you forget. That's what David said. He said, Lord, he says, Don't give me too much, because I'll forget about you. I just become self-dependent. You know what I'm saying? And he says, he says, Don't give me too little that I'll starve and I end up begging. You know and I'm saying i start stealing out here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and but some, you know what I'm saying? Again, it's a spectrum. Some believers fall in one category, some believe what, you know, what what is it that causes you and me to be here and not in in a tiny room in Calcutta with 20 people sharing, you know what I'm saying, the same space. Apart from, what is, you know, like that causes me to feel like raw. And, and, and Pastor E said to me the other day, you know what, Rob, Rob, you know, this thing, like, you know, much is, to whom much is given, much is required. I can't even go into the whole conversation because it will kill. I've got, what, five minutes left? <clears throat> to whom much is given, much is, rec- it's like, it's, er- this, it's erroneous, you know what I'm saying, kingdom theology, you know what I'm saying, kingdom now theology that says that we have to have everything, and it's not consistent with scripture, and Paul's going to smash it here in a minute, he it's said, it's, and, and what's, because what's crazy is this, this thinking ain't new, like obviously I gave some examples are current, this thinking ain't new, like, 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this and said to a group of overindulged and privileged Christians, verse eight, already you, you have all you want. Already you've become rich. He says, without us, watch the comparison, without us, you have become kings. I mean, you're king's kids, right? You've become kings. And, and, and here, Paul now. And would that you did reign. <laughs> Man's like, you ain't reigning. You ain't no king. You know what I'm saying? What are you reigning over? He says, would that you would reign so that we might share the rule with you. This is caustic in its sarcastic nature. Verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us, watch the comparison, us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death. Because we, unlike you, have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. And if you like the illustration here. You need, you need the contemporary appreciation, is of a, of a Roman ticker tape victory procession. You know, like here they come from just wonder, wonder war. Here's the whole army coming back, you know, and they've conquered, and here's the ticker tape coming down. You know what I'm saying? It's a celebration. And <clears throat> they've won this successful battle campaign, and all of the important officials and the generals, you know what I'm saying? They're all at the front of the procession. You know what I'm saying, and they go first, but then toward the end or the back of the procession are the slaves, and then the captured prisoners who would be thrown into the arena with the gladiators to get slaughtered. Where do you think the Corinthian Christians saw themselves in this procession? <laughs> no doubt they're at the front, in it, taking all the applause, and we won, we overcame. And where is Paul? Paul's at the back of the queue, at the back of the procession. Notice, just like Jesus, condemned to death. Verse 10, Paul goes on with this with this comparison. He says, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. See? You can't take all the promises stored up for heaven and apply them down here for now. Surely, surely we don't need a global pandemic to show us that. I mean, just look at current, not even historical, you know, Christianity. Just look at current non-Western Christianity. There are Christians that are being martyred. I mean, we're beginning to see that stuff up on social media now. You know what I'm saying? So, It's like, where do we get off with, you know, we get away unscathed and not have to touch or feel anything. That ain't biblical Christianity. Verse 11, to the present hour, listen how Paul describes his experience. (laughs) So unlike theirs. To this present hour, he said, right now, you know, fam, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, verse 12, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slaughtered, we entreat. We, in comparison to you, have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. That's Paul tidying up in that language there for us. You see the scathing contrast. Mr. and Mrs. Corinthian Christian are focused on the already rather than the not yet. Which is a byproduct of immature thinking. These Corinthian Christians, they need to mature. They need to grow up. And there's lots in there, right, that speaks to us also. Um, I mean, who isn't worried about losing their job? I'm saying, who isn't worried about losing their home right now? Thirty, like one third of the stock market has gone. I think there's 2.8 trillion in, this in, 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 in the stock market assets. One trillion of that has gone. Like, I saw this graph, and it was showing us that, and I'm saying compared to 2008, compared to the 90s, I remember the 90s. I remember the recession in the 90s. No one no one, would have, to, no one would have to tell me nothing. I remember it personally. I was there. And then they compare this all the way back to 1945 and the Second World War and they go all the way back to the Great Depression in 1920s and they say that what we're experiencing now on the graph, it's it's like three times worse than any of those. I mean, what am I going to say? Am I going to say that I'm not worried about, And I'm saying, my family, I'm not worried about my health, you know what I'm saying? It's like we all are, aren't we? And um, maybe I'll end on that point. And I'll just read Second um, Corinthians 12, and then we'll pray. Um, because just in case we think that you know, what I'm saying we're immune to this. I'm saying, and we're over, over concerned with our best life now, not looking, not seeing, you know, not having, not seeing, not seeing beyond the now, and having a future-focused mentality. You know and i'm saying listen to what just in case we think we're immune to this even paul illustrates his own battle his own struggle and that you know and i'm saying and that not just with losing his own life but, but with pride and that 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 propensity that to perpet- <coughs> arrogance second Corinthians chapter 12 You probably started reading it already. Starting at verse seven, he says, because of the surpassing greatness and extraordinary nature of the revelations which I received from God. i will be like, I've got reason to be boasting out here. Like I'm a G out here. This 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 is the occasion where he's acting like a fool. You know what I'm saying? And comparing himself. He says, for this reason, notice, to keep me from thinking of myself as important. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment and harass me, you know, to keep me, notice, From exhorting myself. Verse 8. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. But he said to me, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My loving kindness and my mercy are more than enough, always available, regardless of the situation. For my power, for my power is made perfect. Or is being perfected and is completed and shows itself most effectively where in your power and your strength and your greatness and your ability to prove that you're the head, the top. No, in your weakness. In your weakness, therefore, Paul says, Look, I'm gonna boast, I'm, I'm gonna act a bit puffed up, but not in myself. Notice, therefore, I will all the more gladly boast but in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may completely enfold me and may dwell in me. Verse 10, so I'm well pleased with weaknesses. Wow. With insults, with distresses, with persecutions and with difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, that is in my own human strength, and I am strong, truly able, truly powerful, truly drawing from God's strength. And trust me, in this difficult time when people are, are like people's hearts are failing them for fear, one of the things that's, that they're really going to be able to identify is when you say, "Ra, I'm terrified as well." You know, it's like I don't. I, I'm. I'm thinking, boy, how am I going to? I'm not saying, oh, you know, well, you know, nothing's going to come near my dwelling. And come on, come on. Number one, mature believers judge bi- biblically. Number two, mature believers receive gratefully and are humble, with like a humility. And, and number three, mature believers have a future-focused mentality. May God help us not to be proud, puffed up, because we're clueless. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for your word. Um, thank you, um, Lord, that is a... It's a, it's a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. And sometimes all we can see, Lord, is the next step. Not, the, the path do not light up like Mercedes Benz halogen lights we can see, say, half a mile down the road. Sometimes all we can see is just the next step. And um, Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to not be um, presumptuous. Lord, we don't know the future can't make no grand claims about this, that, or the other. We have to be humble. We can't be puffed up and proud and arrogant. Lord, forgive us. And as much as we don't know the future, Lord, you know the future. Uh, We know you who hold the future. And Lord, sometimes that might mean, like Pastor E prayed earlier, it might mean us going through times of difficulty. It might mean us having times of blessing and prosperity. (laughs) But there's no cast-dying guarantee for that. In this life, but Lord, we as we consider the next life, Lord, you give us two options. It's like we can have one life or we can have two lives. Most people are like, YOLO, you only live once. Well, if you only live once, then Lord, people are going to go hard, going to go ham in this life. But Lord, you give us the option of having two lives a life now but then also a life to come and i pray that you'd help us to to have that future thinking focus that perspective and we know that lord you're the only one through the lord jesus and his sacrifice on the cross can take us across that threshold into that next life where we can have our best life then not necessarily now but lord we thank you because you do bless us now lord you give us the Bible says that we don't have to be anxious for anything, but in prayer and supplication, we can let our requests be made known to you. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That's a blessing that we have now. And Lord, I do, I pray that for, for us as we go through this really mad, difficult, torrid, challenging time. Um, but thank you, Lord, that whatever happens, we've got hope for the future. We don't mourn as those who have no hope. And we thank you for that. Help us not to be clueless. You've given us your word. And help us not to go beyond that which is written. (laughs) We've got enough in here, Lord, to be trying to make make stuff up. And help us to be grateful because all that we have has come from you. Um, Give us a heart of gratitude, Lord, and that will temper the way we live our lives in this life in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.